hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Welcome back to a Hamster with a Blunt Penknife. I am still here with the wonderful Denise Sutton. Say hello, Denise. Hello. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm wonderful, but thank you. <laughs> now, look, in this particular situation, I'll be the judge of that. All right? <laughs> um, well, I'm having a wonderful time with you. So uh, that's, that's marvellous. Um, one thing I neglected to do in the first episode is ask about any sort of previous podcast or audio experience that you've had. I know you've done a little bit of podcasting before. If people were going to find you elsewhere, where would they need to go? Okay, well, um, a few years ago, Mark, who runs the um, Trap One podcast, he invited me to come on as one of his guest hosts. He's got a great group of people to uh, who turn up and all aspects of Doctor Who. Um, we've done a lot of the audio Dalek annual stories. We've talked about a lot of those together and uh, Christmas special and we've just done the one about the target novelizations. So Mark is very kind and he keeps asking me back. <laughs> and I've also done an audio play of the final game, which was the original idea for the third Doctor's final story. Um, somebody who runs something called Black Glove Studios has written a full script for that. And um, I play Elizabeth Shaw. And Wonderful. that was really amazing fun to do, especially because I got to watch her stories lots of times so I could try and get her voice right. She's fantastic, isn't she? <laughs> she is wonderful, yes. Um, and where can where can people find that then if they wanted to listen to it? That is on YouTube. If you if you just search for the final game and or Black Glove Studios because they're doing other things as well. I've got some other scripts in my pile of oh, things to amazing. do. Amazing. Okay. I'll be playing this again sometime. Um, I am there tomorrow. I'm off tomorrow, so I'm I'm going to start listening to that tomorrow. I mean, I I, I love adore audio. So, is it like um with a, with like music sound effects or is it just people acting? Yes, yeah. It's got it's got a soundtrack. It's got special effects. It's got Gosh. some music bedded into it as well, and um, a very very impressive John Pertwee. Oh, then I'm there. Marvellous. Well, we are. What, uh, where, what are we going to watch today? Shall we watch Time Lash Episode 2? I had so much fun with Time Lash Episode 1. It would be rude not to finish it. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I will uh, count us in then in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Ah, oh, yes. Ah, um, the great 80s title sequence. Yes, yeah, it is a thing of beauty. And um, all of the beautiful colours in Colin's coat as well. <laughs> it, it is by far the most colourful um, title sequence, isn't it? Um, yes, yeah, I think um, oh, no, Sylvester well, McCoy have carried on the colourful theme to a certain degree, but uh, this is just prismic beauty isn't it, it is so. beautiful. of course like the, the pertwee like, the title sequence that's probably the most colorful um the which one the one for the final season or the uh, that is the few? first one with it's all red and greens and blues oh and... yes yeah it's like okay we're gonna be in color we're so in color color <laughs> <laughs> capital color yeah oh here we go paul darrow versus colin baker we're here for this mm. And they're having so much fun. 
Um, what did you think of Colin Baker's um, performance when he was alongside Paul Darrow in Blake Seven? Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> I always look forward to seeing that episode when I'm giving Blake Seven a watch because, I don't know, he's not a man who should go for black leather, but he did and he rocked it. He and did. It was, you know. I'll never forget the line. Turned um, it up to 11. What did he, he say? Was... Um, my mum, babe, she said. She called me babe. <laughs> mm-hmm. He was incredible. He, he really was. Um, Do you imagine Paul Darrow was taking this seriously? I don't know. I think he enjoyed it. Um, I mean, some of the Blake Seven episodes, you know, supposed to be more dramatic and more adult, but it had its elements of darkness as well. Oh, for and, sure. Um, and sometimes I think intentionally. he being able to explore being a little bit more off the chain. Yeah. I he, think he than really Avon is, yeah. was ever able to be, because Avon always had to be in control. And he was terribly like deadpan as Avon, wasn't he? Brilliantly so. Mm. Do you remember the end yeah. of the episode where, I can't remember what her name is, Professor Plaxon or Dr. Plaxon dies? And they're like, what about Dr. Plaxon? And he goes, who? Like, yeah. that's the end. Yeah, that's... Um, one of the real memorable points because they've got her in to fix their engines and um, they have to leave now, but she's yeah. still in the chamber with the engines in. And so if they turn the engines on, she's going to die, but they just do it. I mean, he was ruthless in that, wasn't he? But do you know what? I, I love a bad boy. So, <laughs> who doesn't? Who doesn't? Did you have you ever? Got to meet Paul Darrow. Or... No, I never did. That that is a great shame. Do you know I listened to his autobiography recently, the one he did on audio. I want to listen to that too. Yeah, you oh. you've inspired me to do that. And actually, you invited me on to hear. Uh, what you haven't yet? I haven't yet. It no. is. Oh, Denise is full of the most juiciest, amazing stories. <laughs> Find some time to do it, or you won't regret it. Well, I listened to Brian Blessed's not too long ago. I, I don't expect it will be quite up there at Brian level, but uh, I read that, and I do you know what? As I was reading it, I, I could just hear his voice all the way through. Ooh, you yes. know. Yeah. So um, I'm looking forward to listening to that. I I was living on the south coast at the time, and he Paul Darrow was opening something. I have no idea what, and so he was there, but I was too shy to go and talk to him. Oh, no. You know, so one of the regrets, I'm a lot more confident when meeting people, famous people these days, but, you know, I was only like 20 at the time. Just like, oh, a bit scared. What would I say to him? Yeah, I think I've got to that point now as well, where I, I, it's not I don't care what I say, it's just I just want the experience now. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's a lot easier now as well because you know you sort of expect a selfie or something like that, and you know they play the game because it's good feedback for them as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, and usually like, good money as well. Conventions. Yeah, but I mean, even just if you meet somebody fairly randomly, I mean, I I work in Oslo Town Centre and. 2019, sometime I wandered across the road to get a coffee, and there's Morton Harkett. Gosh. Oh. 
also waiting for his coffee. So, you know, I had a nice chat with him and we had a selfie and it was all good, but you know. A friend of mine uh, works in a hotel and it's quite a prestigious one and uh celebrities go there because it's down in the country so it's quite a nice mm. retreat and she always has to maintain her composure when they come up to the reception desk like and yeah. she's had some pretty pretty decent celebrities come through those doors um what do you think about the inside of the time lash i think that they had the sketches probably looked fantastic I like the crystals. I don't like that they seem to be held together with painted duct tape. And tinsel. Um, the, the tinsel isn't ideal, but I think um, the hexagonal structures and um, the crystals themselves, I think they're good. Um, Do you know what? I, I could suggest two things that would have made this work. Mm -hmm. Turn the lights off and just have like a spotlight in there somewhere and blur it like put a blurred effect on it so it's all a bit weird and it's all just too visible isn't it it's all mm. it, you can see I mean, what it they is they could have had a lot more crystals to really make it but then it might have been a bit more hard to climb but he was on ah. a piece of rope anyway um do you remember um the surface of midnight in the the tenth doctor you remember that that yeah. was all like imagine if it was like that like oh mm. that would be amazing well, do you think one day they will do special editions of all of these stories with proper monsters and proper effects? And but, uh, do you know, I've, I've had a conversation about that recently, and sometimes it lacks the charm when hmm. you put the improved effects on. It does look better sometimes, but I don't know. Again, it's like you kind of want a period piece. Hmm. I always watch the special edition of Enlightenment because when it's done well, it is done so well with the beautiful ships in space. Yeah. And I think they it really, they, they, they cut that down, didn't they? So it's edited mm -hmm. like quite sharply. So, and yeah, putting more Daleks in Day of the Daleks. I don't have a problem oh, with that. Oh yeah, that was a good um, one. Oh damn it. You know, you're, you're naming every decent one now. But, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe animate all the missing stories first, oh, you know. Yeah. I love that they're doing that. I love the fact that I have nearly all of season four on my shelf. Mm. Oh, this is yes. that moment I was telling you about where he's like, mm. oh, let's go and see the Borat and I'll sing your praises. Yeah. And of course, he's taken a bit of a leaf out of Perry's book and he's trying to show a bit of cleavage, but it doesn't work, does it? <laughs> Doesn't have quite the same effect. Not really. Wow. Do you know what? I had never noticed that before. How could you not notice <laughs> no. that? It's like, it's like there's a bloody ogron trying to climb out with his overalls. <sighs> he is a hairy man. <laughs> uh, he's not long for this world, though, I'm afraid. I wonder what sort of creative decision or directorial note he received that made him say, well, you know, just open your shirt a little bit there do you know what would be even more amusing would be if, he, if that was like fake that they put that hair mm. on him yes that was 45 minutes in makeup <laughs> and maybe he was like a i find it hard to believe maybe he was like a sex symbol at the time i don't know 
I don't know. Well, I mean, this is the time of Magnum PI and Bergerac, so Indeed. anything could happen at this point. But, Jason, yeah. is this, oh, this is post Jason King, isn't it? Long, long past Jason King, yes. That was a look, Jason King. Oh, I adore him. <laughs> I mean, it's like all the women swooning over him. It's like, how could you not notice that he's not really of the heterosexual <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wasn't he? He was in a Doctor Who, wasn't he? Wasn't he in Planet of Fire? He, he was, yes. Yeah. He was in Planet of Fire, yeah. Okay, so the Doctor's about to do something that we don't often do in Classic Who, but Stephen Moffat loved doing in New Who, and that's Tinker with Time. He does something with this crystal, doesn't mm. he? Yes. I'm not Poor sure Perry. about Perry being manacled like this. It's, it is mm. troubling. And being dragged about by a man, you know, it's. Mm. Yeah, I know. Uh, I don't know. It's not pleasant to watch. No. Um, but this is. I, mean, I get the impression that the neck brace isn't actually fastened and that she's just acting, having to trot along to stop it yanking her neck too much. So I don't think she's in any actual peri peril, but. Uh, the peri peril. She. And Paul, Paul Darrow is wearing his wedding ring throughout, but we never get to meet his missus. But... Who who was his missus? I can't remember. But uh... Is it an actress? Yes, that's right, because wasn't she in the last episode of Blake 7 as well? Do you know, I'm going to have mm. a look while we're talking. Mm. But, um, like going from something that's very uncomfortable to watch to something that is blissful to watch. This poor man yeah. is like, I've been faithful to you. And although he's aged to death, and I think it's done yeah. rather well. Like, I don't think all, I don't think everything visually in this does not work. I think some parts work really well. Yes. I mean, the Borad makeup, the mm -hmm. method of death, which... I don't really understand why you would want to develop a weapon that does that. I mean, just stopping the heart is enough under most situations. But we do find out at the end of this that uh, he's got clones and he's got big plans to mm -hmm. wipe out all the bad. Like, he's a man with a plan. Her name was Janet Lee's Price. Okay. And she was one of those actresses that turned up in everything. Softly, softly, Dixon of Doc Green, Upstairs, Downstairs. Blake Seven, as you said, Poirot. Okay, what's going on? Oh, I love this. He, he's just a mess at the moment. That's a great line. I do love that he, he says, I'll explain later, like five times in this episode. Mm. I, th I think it's just because the writer can't be bothered to explain what's going on. <laughs> Well, I mean, the visual display is very effective when it happens. But... Yeah. It's, this is a really fun idea, isn't it? He's like, he's projected to be mm. staying where he is whilst he's actually moving around the room. Is that right? Yeah. Mm. Just 10 seconds, so not a big jump. But, but enough for him to... There's a sequence in a minute... Um an action sequence where they blast through the door and it is 
incredibly awkwardly directed and not particularly dynamic. And it does go to show because there are some really decent action seasons, sequences in this season. In Re like Revelation of the Daleks, there's some terrific action. It does go to show just how much of an impact the director has on each yes. story. Yes, I think in the documentary, they sort of say he had a hands-off approach. And um, I mean, of course, anything to do with explosives, a lot of the time it was a one one-time thing, wasn't it? If they're yeah. bursting through a door or something, then it would take a long time to set it up again if they got it wrong. So they just have to live with it. They couldn't do a lot in post-production back then. But do you yeah. remember in like, um, in Earthshock, like Peter Grimwade was doing lots of sort of action sequences with guns, blasting through doors, and it's really effective. Yes. Uh, see, Pedro Rob has also directed Warriors of the Deep, and I wouldn't really rate the action sequences in that either. No, I mean, you must have been thinking, what did I do to deserve this? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've heard a lot of people say he's like an actor's director, and I think if you look mm. back to his 70s stories, he casts really well. He cast like the Sunmakers, didn't he? Face of Evil. Oh, well, Sunmakers is excellent, yeah. What's the fella's name? The... Um... The Gatherer. Oh, oh yes. magnificent. Yeah, what's his name? Henry Wolf, isn't oh, it? So yeah. funny. Citizen Cordell. Yes, of course, that's... Sorry? So I thought I'd say, Citizen Cordell, you've complained too much. <laughs> yes, I mean, he was always delightfully evil. I think he used to turn up in Playaway and things like that as well, so you sort of knew him as this sort of strange it. creature, and he's in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And Is he? Yeah. He is. What yeah. the movie? Yeah. Who is he in the movie? Um, well, at the start of the film, he's the wedding photographer, I think, and then he's one of the Transylvanians later on, I believe. I have seen that movie thirty times at least, and I have never spotted that. You get distracted by Christopher Biggins, I'm sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a Henry Wolf in there as well. Okay, so the banderals are on the, on the move. Yep, their ships move faster mm -hmm. than their missiles. Indeed. Which I, <laughs> is a bit of a thing. <laughs> Not very logical, but yeah. Mm. So yes. what happened to this scientist? I, I, I fail to remember. So the Doctor knew uh, the Borad from his previous visit. Yes. And he was a scientist of some repute. Oh, and he had an accident, didn't he, when he was working with one of the Morlockses. And that's why he's yeah. half, half man, half Morlocks. Yes, so he um, <clears throat> DNA's Gene Splice and uh, yeah, or he merged with a creature itself, but his human brain still seems to be dominant. Like, do you think maybe there's too many ideas in this? Because we've kind of gone from um, a time tunnel to HG Wells to a burning android to the Borad to a previous story. There's lots happening. There is a lot. There is a lot happening for something that has so many scenes, like you say, of people just standing around. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, there are an incredible number of ideas. And um, 
I think a lot of writing at the time in the 80s and the 90s that was like that, even with a, I mean, if you look at, say, an episode of Bottom, if you like that, I love a bit of that, you know, yeah. Rick Mayall, they get through so many ideas in a single episode, so many things. I think maybe they did have a kind of a kitchen sink approach to a lot of writing, so there were enough things to get commissioned so that it would oh, interest yeah. somebody. Maybe they didn't trust the audience's attention, like to to, mm. to kind of stay with it. There's a strange um, drawing of John Pertwee there. Hmm. I mean, they John Nathan Turner. He was very keen, of course, on having stuff for the older fans to appreciate and notice, and so it became quite self-referential. But yeah. I mean, it's an interesting idea, but. Would they have had a portrait of the Doctor like that? I don't know. There's there's a lot of references to the, the locket, the hair, the the painting, mm. and he says you're just on your you're just one of you this time, suggesting there were two companions with John Pertwee. So who was the second one? Hmm, that's a good question. Because um, it was John and Joe. So unless one of the brigadier rocked up, or oh, maybe something like that. maybe maybe Joe yeah. visit, uh, sorry Liz visited from Cambridge and and they had an adventure together. Be cool, yeah. Um, that is coming to a YouTube near you, you know, and I expect you to be playing Liz. <laughs> I think her daughter is um, Caroline John's daughter is playing Liz Shaw in the um, yeah. finishes now. Uh, Daisy, Daisy Ashworth, is that her name? Something like yeah. that, yes, yeah. So that's good. And I think when they do recast, it's always quite affectionately done. So mm. uh, Fraser Hines plays the second Doctor. And, and he does it so well, doesn't oh, he? Just, it's uncanny. Um, Sadie Miller's playing Sarah J. Smith as well, isn't she? Um, Elizabeth Sladen's daughter. Hmm. I mean, it was, she had such a distinctive voice and acting style as well, didn't she? When she yeah. was in stressful, when um, Sarah Jane Smith was in stressful situations, she could be quite sort of gulpy and grunty. And... Uh, but do you know what? I think that's how we would actually genuinely behave. In the, if I was like tied to a table with a crinoid pod opening up and about to engulf me, I'd be making a bit of noise as well. Well, yes. I mean, screaming it just takes so much out of you doesn't it but weirdly enough that's that's the other era actually that i find a bit troubling with its treatment of women uh the hinchcliffe era because they go through hell in that era yes well i mean women are tough we can <laughs> get through this stuff you know yes. we're, we're tougher than we look i say so. speaking as a man who has some fabulous women in his life i absolutely can see that yes yeah, I mean, uh, we've been taking it for thousands and thousands of years, you know. Time it to the table, bring it on, see <laughs> what happens, you know. <laughs> I've got a friend that even likes that, you know. Sorry. Well, yeah, I mean, amongst consult consenting adults, why not? But, um, indeed, indeed. Oh, we're about to lose Paul Darrow. Oh, no. Aye. I, do, I I feel like my interest sometimes wanes when he's off, when he's gone. Mm, so I'm pleased yeah. you're here. Yes, he, 
He does have a good exit though, doesn't he? Yeah. I love his dying scream as well. It's almost like I can kind of be bothered. It's like, ah, ah. <laughs> See, this is, this is very clever, though, isn't it? All of the um, H.G. Wells literary allusions. That's, I think yeah. that's a, like a lovely idea. They entirely pull it off, but the idea is lovely. Yes, yeah, it assumes, of course, that the viewers know who H.G. Wells is. And, um, but, yeah, I mean, would you, like, at, you want at that age, had you read H.G. Wells? Um... I knew, I mean, I'd seen the Time Machine movie and um, I don't think I'd read any at that point. But, um, and I think I'd heard the album, of course, War of the Worlds. But, oh, yeah. I'm resisting starting singing right now, so be very grateful for that. Oh, no, please do. Do you know, I... I, I self-confessedly i was doing planet of the daleks the other day and i created joe and lartep the musical oh yeah no. i was i was half tempted to do like vena and micross the musical for this but i thought <laughs> no i may lose anyone that's ever listening if i keep doing that mm. that is a terrific yes. makeup job isn't it mm. But you are right about the disabled shaming. It's very awful. Well, I mean, it's not even the fact that, I mean, we, one of his clones can walk, so we don't know, is he, would we define him as disabled? But, um, you know, the fact that, you know, the doctor's just ribbing on him for being ugly. Yeah. I mean, we've all had bus rides like that. It ain't nice. But like, sure, the doctor's supposed to be better than that, isn't he? He's supposed to be. Well, the doctor is now better than that. I mean, yeah. Obviously, this is the weakness, and it is his motivation that he is now hideous to the limited range of ladies on his planet. But um... I just think it's an insane plan. It's the weirdest dating plan in the world that he wants to take Perry, mutate her into a Morlocks. Yeah. I, I just can't see that as a love story taking off. Not really, no. Um, <laughs> it wouldn't get you off to a great start, would it? My nan used to read Mills and Boons, and I'll tell you, they weren't like that. No, not at all. <laughs> oh, here we go. And um, there's a lovely cutaway. So Paul Darrow's aged, and then it cuts away to like his skeleton just oh, falling to mm -hmm. the floor. Going back to what you said about Colin Baker earlier, he is a, like such a charming man. Like they could have made him like extremely charming, could they? Like there was every chance to write him with a lot of humour, less abrasive. Do you think they they pulled that off in Trial of a Time Lord? Um. Well, I think it's part of the problem is the he had to be a contrast to Peter Davison. Mm. I mean, you couldn't have another blonde, charming, affable, gentle creature as a doctor. You had to have something different. Um, but no, I think um, obviously his 
relationship with Mel and he wasn't as attached to her as he was to Perry, but they had more of a sort of professional cordiality between them. Um, I really like that, that, that those two stories that they have together. I really, because Mel, mm -hmm. I feel like Mel comes in and she's like a breath of fresh air. She's just up for the adventure, you know? Yeah, she really is. I mean, she's, I mean, she's not, I mean, Perry, as written, did whine quite a lot and yeah. she had reason to whine. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, um, Mel was just like, well, you're getting a bit portly. Let's get you on an exercise bike. Let's <laughs> give you some carrot juice. Let's. And he just can't bully her, can he? Like she is, no. she is, she has complete agency. I think I think people yeah. come down hard on Mel. Yeah, I think um, in a way, Bonnie Langford wasn't ready for the part in the way that she would be now because at the time, she came from musical theatre, didn't she? And it's yeah. like every line that she spoke it was like she was about to go into a song because that was how she that was how she acted now of course she's done eastenders she she's done a lot of other stuff and so she can act in a more naturalistic way i mean i'm not saying she couldn't have done that then but she wasn't asked to she was asked to um declaim and she was asked yeah. to it was very it was almost very like uh violet elizabeth bot wasn't it i'll scream and scream until i'm sick <laughs> Very... Yes. Well, I mean, she was closer in age to Violet yeah, spot yeah, than she is to she the was. character she's playing in EastEnders these days. So, but it was refreshing, though. Like after a lot of conflict and a lot of whining, to just have somebody who was just enjoying themselves. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um... I mean, I think Perry was the meteor companion, of course, but these were the times. This was the era where, you know, the series was clinging on. So what's going on with that hand then? <laughs> the Borat's flipper. Yeah. I mean, I don't really understand. He's got like a flipper on the right-hand side and he's more locks on the left-hand side, but his left hand, his left hand, he can operate a joystick with. That's I had never very thought confusing. about that before, but that is a very good point. <laughs> um, this is probably what the the fifth time this year the doctor's committed murder, or apparent murder. Mm. How do you feel about that? Well, I mean, it's a it's a mercy killing in a lot of ways. But um, but as we are, are soon to find out. Hmm. So that was the clone, right? The one we see in a minute is the real Borat. Possibly, yes. I'm, I think I got a bit fuzzy at this point. Like you say, once Paul Darrow has made his final exit, right. it's, uh, it's, they're mainly just winding stuff up, aren't they? You know, oh, need to you... understand the Morlocks, the Borat's motivation and all the rest of it. Although there is one more um, excellent appearance from the Bandrels. <laughs> it's wonderful. Oh no, the Morlocks puppet. <laughs> I thought we'd had enough of this in episode one. I mean, well, I mean, you know, they'd spent all their money on it. They couldn't just use it in one episode. All, all, all sixpence on the on the mm. Morlocks. 
and here he's being rescued by a man i hate to keep bringing this up the you know the the rampant sexism in this story but it is very overt here well she does need rescuing and there's only like two other female characters so the odds were always in favor of her being rescued by a bloke i guess but like do you remember say like in the new series in tooth and claw remember when rose was tied up and the werewolf's there and she incites everybody else to like release that's kind of like the new series approach isn't it lots of agency yeah. lots of independence mm. yes i mean the striking thing about rose tyler compared to almost every companion in the classic series was that she was allowed to know things that members of the audience would expect to know yeah you know whereas a lot of the doctor's companions were absolute babes in the wood who'd never experienced anything by the sounds of things Oh, here we go. So the, the Vandrals are approaching via BBC Micrographics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which was the um, universally accepted programming basis at the time. Can you prove you are a Time Lord? That voice. <laughs> but he's not having it, is he? They tell him, like, the, the boar has been overthrown, the threat to you is gone. No, we're still going to fire our missiles. And what happens next is possibly the most egregious padded scene mm. you're ever going to see. This TARDIS scene that was filmed later. I think it's like six minutes, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yes. I don't know if you noticed, but Colin Baker's hair is longer because this is about six weeks later. <laughs> It's longer and it's a lot more tousled. Yeah. Uh... I mean, to be fair to them, they've given him the crystal. They've remembered the prop. Mm. And the little yellow thingy in Perry's mm -hmm. hair as well. Oh, yeah. But, like, even you, who said that you like a TARDIS scene or two, mm. do you think this was needed here? I watched this recently for the first time for probably a couple of years and it did go on a bit you know and it's just more bickering and it's nice you know that herbert has smuggled himself in and they've managed not to notice and um do you know the bit where he's like um what is it uh, shoulder to shoulder face to face in the face of the enemy you know he's all like proud to be having a hero moment i really like him <laughs> yeah Yes, it's um, it's not a great scene. They both do their very best with what they have. Yeah, which is but, yeah, very I little. Mean, do you think this is like an Eric's Award scripted? Quite possibly, yeah. I mean, um, it's like the extra scene in Kinder that they used during the filming block for Earthshock. Oh, that's one of the episodes. Yes. And it's just Tina, Tegan and Adric having a Barney and... Uh, Although I'm going to let you yeah. know a little secret. Every time Tegan and Adric had a row, I, I just love those moments. The bit where she throws him against the thing in Fourth Doomsday, she effectively mm. beats him up is glorious. <laughs> See, like, do you remember there's a scene in Invasion of the Dogs where the Doctor's trying to build his machine and everyone's coming into the lab and interrupting him? Yeah. That's that's a bit like this, but, but better. Better written, better played. 
don't know though. I think I could watch Colin Baker doing anything. Yes, yeah, he is lovely. He's got a beautiful voice. He's got so much presence. I mean, he's got everything that a doctor should have. Except the writing. Hmm. Did you ever go to well, um, the the Doctor Experience? No, no, I've never managed to make it to Wales during that important period in Doctor Who life. But, so I took um, like a day trip up there. It was a long old day because from mm-hmm. where I am to where that is and back in one day, that's a long day. But so they had all of these like glorious classic series costumes and monsters and they had this console room. And it was the only thing you weren't allowed to go near. And I was desperate to stand around this console. Mm. Yeah, it is gorgeous. Like, this is the one that started, that was first introduced in Five Doctors. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Did you ever um, have the Daypole models? Did you ever get any of those? I didn't, <laughs> no. I mean... Um... <laughs> I think when a lot of that was going on, I was like buying my first apartment and sort of having to use my money on other things than Doctor Who, sadly. I mean, I prioritised the videos and later on the DVDs, but because the show itself is always the most important thing to me. But yeah. last week, my partner bought me a Davros. Oh, so. Yeah, I've now got a little Davros sitting on my shelf. He said, well, you like Davros, don't you? Well, yeah, I quite like it, you know. <laughs> so he's in my Doctor Who cupboard now. But... Well, here's a, here's, okay, so here's a question. Favourite Davros? Like, actor? Um, well, I mean, I, I tweeted a few weeks ago because I was watching, because Michael Wisher turns up in quite a few of the John Pertwee stories. Mm-hmm. He's in Terror of the Autons. He's in Carnival of Monsters, of course. And I oh, think he's blissful. in another one as well. And, um, you know, I was thinking, am I getting a crush on Michael Wisher? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's in Revenge of the Cybermen yeah, but... as well, isn't he? Revenge. Of... He's one of the Vogans in Revenge of the Cybermen. Mm, the one who's yes. like always coughing he'll... into his hand. But he's... Uh... So, yeah, I like him. He was the first, the original, you might say. Um, (laughs) No one ever says David Goodison, do they? Poor Destiny of the Daleks. Well, I mean, Davros, it's a difficult one, isn't it? uh... I do like Terry Malloy as Davros, and this is Mm. an incredibly childish observation. He does look a bit like my gran. So, okay. <laughs> that sort of saggy face. He does look, yeah, there's something of like yeah. an old woman about him. But like, do you ever see Eastenders? I think, I think we had a dinner lady who looked a bit like Davros. Oh, well, God. Terrifying. Yeah, her eyes were so far sunk back in her head, it was incredible. But, She's yeah. either going to serve mashed potatoes or take over the universe. Yep. Mrs. Rose, her name was. See, look, we're reminiscing here, and this scene is still going on. <laughs> it is, yeah. I mean, um, like, Herbert has decided that it's a man's job to do whatever they're oh. doing, even though he doesn't understand what they're doing. Um, oh, this is this is that old cliche of, the, oh, the doctor's died and the companion's sad. <laughs> and then he's, you know, no, I'm here. 
I think the best version of that cliche is Monster of Peladon, where Sarah thinks the Doctor's dead and is like crying, yeah. and he scares the life out of her by coming back to life. She is Sarah Jane. Yes. Oh, that scene at the end of Planet of the Spiders. Yeah. It gets me every time. I mean, he's the first Doctor that I can actually remember, although I couldn't remember him that well, of course. Well, so where did you come in then? Like, at some point in Perry's well, time? Yeah, yeah, I mean... My mum knew that if she stuck me down in front of Star Trek or she stuck me down in front of Doctor Who, then I would be quite happily entertained from the age of about three or four, I guess. So I could vaguely remember the Green Death, could oh. vaguely remember Planet of the Daleks. Um, so at an impressionable age, you were watching those like Hinchcliffe Doctor Who's? Yeah. Gosh, yeah, well, my. we all loved them. I mean, I don't know if it was the same with you, but... We played Doctor Who in the playground, yes. you know, at every yeah. break time. And, like, there was a girl who we always had to let her be the Doctor because she read Doctor Who Weekly, so she, oh. she was therefore the biggest fan of all of us. So, you know, she was always the Doctor. She was like was the, the Alpha there. Time Lord, yeah? Yeah. So, yeah, we did that all the time. I usually had to be a villain. When we played Blake Seven, I had to be Servalan. Oh, yeah, I bet you were a fabulous I actually man. found that was quite fun. Yeah, yeah. I bet. <laughs> mm, yeah. Did you hear that anyone is making Blake 7 audios? There's a position here. <laughs> I don't think I've quite got um, quite got the full Serverland voice. Oh, but, uh, Jacqueline Beers, isn't she? Yeah. That's the silky tones in her voice, I mean. I mean, there are many reasons to love the two doctors, but mm. her in that, oh, she's just wonderful. Oh, we, we, we have completely gone off track from time last year, haven't we? <laughs> this happens, though, doesn't it? I mean, we've stopped for <clears throat> Doctor Who, which is more than certain other podcasts yeah. <laughs> do, of course, but uh, yeah, it's, um, okay, it's so not really holding our attention, I think it's fair to say. He's doing a seduction technique here of threatening to pluck out her eyes so she can't look at yes. him. I, I want to uh, ask you, would that work on you? Not really, no. <laughs> I mean, I've got, I've got pretty rubbish eyesight anyway, but, um, yeah, that wouldn't be great. I think I'd say, well, I think I'd rather get used to what you look, look like, really, rather than be falling over stuff all the time. I'm fairly but, certain that someone on Carfail, you know, all 500 of them, would uh, find something to love in the Borat. Hmm. I mean, you know, he probably doesn't smell too great. No. To be fair. He's got very greasy hair as well, have you noticed? Yeah, he's, um, and that leather's probably impregnated with all kinds of nasties, but yeah. But um... Did you see that when he was talking, like the, the makeup side of his face was actually moving? That's a terrific mm. makeup job. Yes, I mean, that must have been something that took quite some development. But it does go to show that even in the weaker Doctor Who stories, there are things, well, we've already mentioned them earlier, but there are always things to admire. Like, it's like some yes. people will write off an entire story, and I just don't think you can do that with any story. 
no, you really can't. I mean, I think a lot of the time, because I've done some acting, or purely sort of amateur, unpaid stuff, but I think you, um, you look at the intent. Nobody sets out to make bad work, do no. they? No. So, you know, they... The scriptwriter had belief, the producer had belief, the actors did their best to make the best of the scripts that they were given. Um, there's a lot to like about the set designs, the costumes, like you say, the Borad. Even like the ideas, some of the ideas are really fun. Yeah. But maybe mm -hmm. like, it's never been more important that the director is well matched and is given his all. And like, mm. as I say, if there's someone who, what did I say? I think on him like relaxed or something, don't they? Maybe this is the result. Mm. Yes, just let the actors do their thing. And if it's a little bit, I mean, could they have pulled it back from some of the torturous scenes that Perry had to go through? I don't know. But... I genuinely think had like, the situations reversed and heaven forbid Pennant Roberts directed Revelation of the Daleks and Graham Harper directed this the script would still be what it is I think the lights would be brought down the action would be yeah. better mm. yes I mean action such as it is mainly sort of dragging people along corridors <laughs> and things like that and reacting to glove puppets but um... well, we just missed the doctor saying you're worthless you're nobody no one wants you oh it's terrible which is again, I mean, you know, the the doctor in the latest series has got some pretty harsh words for Tim Shaw, but she would never invalidate his right to exist. No. I am something of a Jodie Whittaker lover. Um, I'm not popular in some circles for that, but I happen to adore that era. And I say it every opportunity. Yes, I really, really love what she's doing, what, she, what is happening. I mean, um, you know, talking about whether the Doctor is male or female, the Doctor is a Time Lord, not human. They can't settle down and have kids with their companions. No. It doesn't matter what gender they are. It really, really doesn't. And um, I'm really pleased with that Ruth Doctor as well. Oh, she was amazing as well. And the two of them oh, together, she... their chemistry. Mm. And she reminds me a lot of um, Colin Baker's Doctor as well. The costume yeah. and the attitude. And... and the gun. Yeah. But. Um... No, and I really loved it. In her first season, I love the fact that they did not draw attention to the fact that she was a woman. Beyond a few asides, she was just mm. a great doctor. Yeah, I mean, I was concerned because obviously Jodie Whittaker is a very beautiful woman. And in the history of Doctor Who, very beautiful women tend to get attention, whether wanted yeah. or unwanted. And I thought, well, how is that going to be if, you know, male protagonist falls in love with the doctor and i mean there's been flirty moments with um tesla and with oh, yeah. um byron byron like, tried didn't he byron as well yeah, yeah. so um, and i love that how she just yeah. shut him down straight away mm. but it's so i'm pleased that you know they've 
they've managed to go back in a way to the gender gender neutrality that we had with like I mean it seems to have been retrofitted that yes John Pertwee's doctor was in love with Joe Grant and Tom, per- Tom yeah. Baker's doctor was in love with Sarah Jane. It's Smith. a very modern reading be... though, isn't it? It's like a that's a today reading of what they were doing back then. Yeah, it's never and watching it now, watching um, John Pertwee's reaction to Joe getting married to his oh, younger self, and yeah. effectively, and um, you know when he has to get rid of Sarah and what an agonising scene that is when he has to go back to Gallifrey. But at the time, you just didn't think that. You didn't think that they would get together or become a couple. And that was one of the things that I... I mean, I loved the story of the Tenth Doctor and Rose. I thought that was beautiful. But I don't want that all the time no. with the Doctor. With Jodie Wicker, they've almost gone back to that classic series, like asexuality. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, it's so refreshing because I, it, I it felt it feels... was a bit overplayed over time, you know? I mean, yeah, um, nobody's arguing. David Tennant is quite a nice-looking bloke. Oh, boy. Not every single woman in the cosmos. No. Uh, well, and, you know, I've, I also I asked a question, because, uh, oh, wow, we've completely derailed from time, Ash, but this is so interesting. Let's keep going. Um, <laughs> I asked a question about, like, I feel like in Rusty Davis's time there's a real attempt to, like, romanticise the Doctor, but in mm. Stephen Moffat's time there's a real attempt to sexualize the doctor and that yeah. i object to because i just want him to be a bit better than that and it leads to a scene like the bit at the end of the angel two-parter where the companion is attempting to bed him on her wedding mm. night and i'm like i don't want to watch this in doctor who i don't want to explain this to the children in the room like <laughs> i don't know maybe that's just me well I mean, obviously, attraction does happen, you know. You yes. can't deny that it can be there. And, you know, Matt Smith, he was pretty cute. Reminds me a bit of my first boyfriend. But, um, and, yeah, I mean, Amy had been obsessed with him since she was eight years old. So why wouldn't she do that? That makes sense. And then, of course, you know, Clara and... Um, Matt Smith's doctor as well. Um, There's definitely hints in there, yeah. Yeah, but, and, you know, that's partly why she reacts so strongly to Peter Capaldi in the first episodes. You know, she's, you know, she thought she had a young, handsome companion, consort, call it what you will, and suddenly he's an old guy, and it's like, it's similar to Perry you know, yeah, with Peter Davison, who thought he was quite sweet, and then all of a sudden she's got Mr. Grumpy Trousers. Yeah. And, um... I, I love that year, though. I The two of them trying to figure out how to get on with each other. But mm. think about, like, it. reverse it, though. If you played out that scene in Flesh and Stone in Jodie Whittaker's first season, and you had, say, Tozin Cole trying to bed Jodie Whittaker, because why wouldn't you play out that scene with a female doctor? I think suddenly that's very uncomfortable. Hmm. Yes. I mean, it wouldn't have worked given the respective apparent ages of the characters, the fact that he's quite a shy and clumsy character, particularly in the early episodes. And um, 
if he loves anybody, it's, it, it ain't yes. going to be right now. It's, it's, oh, Yaz's sister. They seem to have the eye for her. Yeah. Well, I think, I think you know, he, I think him and Yaz have something. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask you to, uh, after that fabulous detour, um, to summarise. No, actually, give me one, one massive strength in Time Lash. Let's go out on a one high. Massive- um, massive strength in Time Lash. Hmm. It. It's a tricky one. <laughs> it is a tricky one. Um. I think. Hmm. I've got one. Like you say, there's just so many individual ideas. There's no central theme, good or bad, that you can pick out as being like one big major strength of the story. I mean, the casting is good. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got Paul Darrow, they've got Dennis Carey, they've got Colin and Nicola, of course. And um, the poor patient chap playing the, the bore playing the bore ad. Um So, so the cast, cast, there we go. That, well, that, that is solid, a big strength. Solid theatrical actors. Um, the costumes are nice, I think. Um, I like some of the scenery works very well. Some of the corridors and the TARDIS are a bit tired and sad, but <laughs> I think the visual effect and the contrasts between the different areas, the main sort of room with the time lash in it as, composed to the san- as compared to the sanctum and the control room and the caves, of course. I think well, for the time, all of these things work well. That's a shopping list of strengths you've given me there. <laughs> <laughs> Who who knew? No time rush had so much to offer. Uh, I mean, I was going to say what one thing I noticed there was just because there are so many ideas, it never stays still. So even mm. though it's probably not intellectually stimulating, it's never kind of boring. There's always something happening. Well, I mean, intellectually stimulating. Sometimes you can watch something that's really quite stupid. Oh yes, and because you you sort of think. And I'm not saying Time Lash is, but, you know, <laughs> other TV shows are available and a lot of them are quite stupid. And uh, you sort of wonder, what are they trying to say here? Is there extra depth here? Am I missing something? And a lot of the time you're not. But there's a lot of things to fire your imagination about H.G. Wells and where mm-hmm. he got his inspiration from. And um, The unseen John Pertwee adventure. That I'm sure that must yeah. have fired some people's imagination off. Mm, what's the deal with the locket? You know, uh, and who will Vina finally choose? H.G. Wells or Mick Ross? Mm, we'll never know. Mick, Mick Ross, it's a name a bit like Tim Shaw, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we have come to a conclusion, a wonderful yeah. conclusion, that there is some good in every Doctor Who story, even those that yeah. languish at the bottom of the poles. I will, that is a hill I would die on. Yeah, very much so. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure today. And thank you for inviting me. I've had an absolute blast and I will never watch Time Lash in the same way again. Hey, (laughs) we've achieved something. And we will talk off mic about the second appearance. Okay.